In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our Gen Con online seminar coverage. Hello and welcome back. I'm Vanessa Hoskins with No Direction and we are going behind the pages with senior developer John Compton. Hello, hello. Good to be here. <laughs> and I've got Alex Agunas joining me as well. And of course, we're going to be talking about what we just uh, went through. We, we just built a Starship using a bunch of new options from the Starship Operations Manual. And I know uh, I am extremely excited to see this out in the wild. Uh, it has been uh, it has been some time. Uh, Alex and I, full disclosure, we were two of the contributing authors on this book and uh, wrote a lot of the systems. In fact, some of the ones that we just used to build our crazy B ship. Uh, if you have missed that, go ahead and check out that other panel. Um, and so I am I am really looking forward to to digging into the ship. Um, and before I forget, I also just want to thank Sirenscape for that fantastic transition music that you heard uh, between the couple panels. Uh, they have been great in being able to provide us with some some great background tunes while we get set up for each each segment. So, uh, but anyway, diving right in, John, how has it been? Starship Operations Manual, tell us. Oh, John, you're muted. John's muted. <laughs> ah, out of politeness, I've been muted. So, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's been really exciting to see this out in the wild um, and see the public's reaction for it because not only has it been a long time uh, since we, before we even announced it, but it was even a long time after the announcement before people could finally start responding and saying, I really love this, I really love that. Uh, at which point it's really exciting to be able to say, good. Excellent. <laughs> I mean, this is the first hardcover book that I worked on directly uh, for Starfinder RPG. Because um, right after I had ended working as uh, organized play lead developer, this was my my initial project. Um, mm -hmm. That they're like, <laughs> well, well, this is already in process. Here, here are several turnovers by um, several jackals. Uh, Vanessa Hoskins, Alex, <laughs> I'm I'm sure they do quality work. Um, and so, and you did. Uh, yes, but. Uh, but yeah, so it, it was a project that involved a lot of um, a whole lot of just fun development work as we were re-examining what it means to do Starship combat and expanding how we can tell stories with Starship combat because that's been one of the perceived limitations of the system mm -hmm. is that people see, okay, you have 30 pages about how to build a Starship that goes pew pew and then you have these rules that say, here's how you pew and get pewed. Um, <laughs> so... I guess that's all we do with starships. Uh, the answer is no. Like you, you travel, you explore, you find things out. But now with Starship Operations Manual, we have more explicit recommendations. Anything from new rules, like being able to uh, race and do chases, mm -hmm. uh, to being able to break up into multiple starships for a squadron or to Ooh. command an entire armada. Uh, but even just entirely flavor-based uh, sections as well. So at the very back of the book, you'll find numerous pages full of adventure hooks that are based around starships, as well as entire campaign arcs about starships. So if you wanted to make your own personal adventure path, we have numerous suggestions of uh, content, including what might be happening at low levels, mid levels, and high levels, so that you can create your own customized arc without even having to wait for Paizo to make the, you know, adventure speed racer AP, go! 
Yeah, and I think that's fantastic because like you said, there's there's so many things you can do with starships. They're such an integral part of storytelling. When we look at our favorite sci-fi adventures, whether that's Star Trek, Star Wars, the starship itself, the Starship Enterprise, Millennium Falcon, all these great starships, um, even you know the, the main ship from Firefly, the hunk of junk that it is, uh, are all other characters essentially in those stories and that starship is is in a lot of ways the people's homes as well and they're such a big part of these stories having all of these extra options uh is is only natural and only enhancing that portion of the game uh, to make sure that when you're trying to tell your story you can say well but my starship i i have this idea that has this you know this certain technology and there's no rules to represent it well in this book there are so many new rules i'm sure folks can find something that'll work yeah and sometimes it's just a matter of having the inspiration to work off of the the oh here are some examples of what i could do with it because you're referen you mentioned uh, several iconic starships from sci-fi media mm -hmm. it's like okay yeah millennium falcon sure does start off as what it's like corellian cruiser or something or other mm -hmm. uh whatever it was I, there goes my sci-fi lore and you're cringe. right yes it is but, a corellian cruiser there we go oh, um <laughs> but uh but being able to say oh yeah this is the background to this thing and now this is what i've done with it can be a big part of telling that story for your starship so yeah. that's one of many reasons why we have 44 new starship uh, examples in the book, each one of them that comes with a customized uh, history that ties into the setting. And oh boy, the authors on these were, were an absolute delight because uh, I gave them maybe 10 or 12 different suggestions of styles of thing and they just ran with it and expanded into so many options. So you have like these starships that are based off of Oh yeah, this company tried to make this thing to uh, use it as a freight hauler. And in the end, they decided that it had really good armor and it got co-opted into this uh, rebellion over on the side of the galaxy. And now nobody uses it for cargo hauling. Everybody assumes it's a warship and fires on sight or um, <laughs> like that sort of thing. And you can build in these these tropes and these, these uh, histories so that people will respond to your starship in new ways, or you can understand what is the role of starships in the setting and storytelling. It's fun. A couple things that I really like about this book is uh, I'm a big organized play guy. I think I've done at least half of the scenarios so far, probably more. And you can like read through this book. And if you've been following along with Starfinder Society, uh, you really get this feel about how somebody who's very familiar with Starfinder Society scenarios had a major hand in this because there are just rules that were pioneered in scenarios and just expanded on and made part of the game here. Like people who haven't played Starfinder might not know that living starships have been in Starfinder since like 2017, 2018. And yet there's this entire glorious section where that's like, hey, you know that creature building stuff that you got in Alien Archive 1? Let me show you how to build a living starship. And I love it. Yeah, ramming weapons have a, a similar... Uh, pedigree and even sort of the AI piloted starships uh, to an extent as well. One of our launch scenarios, in fact, for Starfinder Society. Yep. And I, I think that's what's so great is we took a lot of these things that, you know, pioneered in Starfinder Society and in some of these other adventure paths and things and are able to bring them together into a place that's more accessible. Because if you're uh, a GM creating your own Starfinder campaign, sometimes you want these options you don't necessarily know to look in uh, that specific adventure for those rules. And so bringing them all together in one place with a bunch of new rules is just, it's only natural. And uh, I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm really excited to act, actually to see what people will do with it and how they'll build new ships and how that will evolve 
how starships are represented in their games. And, and like you were saying, not just in combat, although there's a lot of rules for that, but outside of combat as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think is one of the, the biggest changes or the, the biggest things that is going to sort of shake up the, the starship portion of Starfinder role-playing game? Uh, so from, from the perspective of this uh, new book, some of them are going to be new uses of your weapon slots. Um, so with all the new different categories of weapons that we have, I think that people will start to re-examine uh, what the standard designs are. And like when the Starship combat came out, like there was this idea of, okay, people will build balanced Starships, everything will be fine. In the end, uh, what a lot of folks end up doing is called the turtle build, which is, wow, shields sure are inexpensive. Wow, turrets sure are a way of just ignoring the whole quadrant system. So the the turret turtle is increasingly popular where it's Mm -hmm. put a couple of really big weapons on the turret, all the shields, and just go to town. One of the, so in addition to having new options that will start to challenge that build, and in addition, like, new counters to that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's in this book that is a non-binding option, it's more there as guidance, okay. is there's a page in the book that gives uh, tentative budgets for different systems. Mm-hmm. So it says, hey, maybe GM, you should limit your players to spending no more than 10% of their budget on shields, which will prevent the, I have 600 shield points, 22 hull points, um, that sort of disparity. <laughs> where, uh-huh. um, So a bunch of those calculations were ones that uh, cooked up to try and make a more balanced experience so that hopefully you don't just go for that turtle build every time and you're, you're right. interested in exploring something new. Yeah, I, I know that from at least from my experience in, in the regions that I've played in Starfinder Society, a lot of starship combat, table after table, came to who won the piloting check uh, and came up to who got right up the tailpipe of the other ship, right? You're like, oh, their rear weapons are probably terrible. And so you always wanted to have your front guns right against their rear quadrant, and that's what you wanted. And one of the things I was just gleeful over putting in this book was uh, was the mines. So mm-hmm. if that is a problem and people are doing that, uh, throw some mines on your ship because that'll get them to stop real quick. That reminds me of a Starfinder Society scenario where like the plot is uh, the Starship manufacturers reacting to that tactic. And so you try out a bunch of Starships that have all the heavy guns on the rear. That, that was so funny. I loved yeah. it. Exactly. One of, the, one of the Starfinder Society scenarios that I played most recently, in fact. And that was, that was a delightful scene. Um, that or even the Counterpoint, which was one of the first quests we ever produced uh, as a way of getting people used to starship combat and the idea of maneuvering was built specifically for, oh gosh, the ship has no defenses on the aft quarter. Let's shoot it in the butt. Um, Became the rallying cry at every single play this table I did. (laughs) Shoot it in the butt. butt. Uh, Thinking about these ships with the giant weapons on the back reminds me of the Spathy ship from Star Control 2. That's a deep cut uh, where they only have one weapon system, which is a homing missile, and they fire it from the rear because they are a cowardly race and they fly away from every conflict. Just shooting missiles. Please leave me alone. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Yeah, entirely. (laughs) One thing I really like about this book is the art. There's a lot of art of starships that really challenge what a starship could look like. Like uh, I'm thinking of the, I think I'm going to say this wrong. So correct me if I do. I'm notoriously bad at pronunciation. The UE pedal tail is, or is it U1E? It's an abbreviation. 
UIE, uh, United Interface. Oh, uh, oh and that's there. Wow. I, I should have read the first sentence of the description. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, and that, and that kind of gets us into, um, first off, the, the art looks, yeah, like a, a cool dragonfly. And there are a bunch of different uh, Starship manufacturers that have a very precise look to them. And some of our Sheeran manufacturers are those. Uh, one of the, when I came onto the project, and the project was kind of changing scope a little bit uh, during that time. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to make sure was included was a lot of setting lore. And one of the ways that's reflected is in having, I believe it's 20 different manufacturer profiles, um, 18 or 20 of them, each one of them getting a column of information that gets a little company logo and, and some quick little statistics. But then it gives you the history of the company and what defines that company or sets it apart from everything else. Because the core rule book, when it introduced a couple of sample starships, it said, oh yeah, there's this Sheeran producer called United Interfaith Engineering. Done, move right <laughs> along. Um, or there are three Eoxian manufacturers. So these are all creating like bone ships, <laughs> Omtech, um, Blackwind, and uh, I'm missing out on one. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I looked at these and I was like, what differentiates these? Yeah. And in the core rulebook, the answer is nothing. So one of the big challenges we had in assigning these to authors was giving all of them of a certain category to the same author. Uh, Kate Baker in the case of um, in the case of the Sheeran ships mm -hmm. or Alexi Greer in the case of uh, the Eoxian ships and saying, one of your big jobs is to make these still fit the theme, but feel distinct from one another. Um, so like United Interfaith Enterprise, actually um, uh, uh, Hive, Hivenex um, mm -hmm. is basically one of the st starship producers for Shirin that is all about saying, you know what? The swarm is out there. We came from the swarm. We've dealt with the swarm. We will be ready. Uh, and then there's another manufacturer for Shirin that's just like, oh no, we really shouldn't do mean things to good people. Uh, we, put in, we put in switches that make it so you can't actually shoot people unless your ship takes damage first. And almost everybody <laughs> hot fixes this thing away the moment that it happens. Um, of course they do. Um, yeah, I think this is fantastic because I remember like uh, for myself in the, in the Pact Worlds book, I was luckily enough to write the, uh, write the Vesk ships. And Vesk have, you know, their big three, Blood Mountain clans, uh, Vindicus, and Normakama. And like, okay, and I, I'm seeing these over and over, and I'm looking at all the other ships. And like you said, there's not a lot of direct guidance. You have mm -hmm. to sort of look at like, what, what makes each of these ships their own thing? Uh, what is what is a Norma Kama ship having common with all the others, right? And and there are commonalities, but they're sort of hidden. You have to really look for them. So I was very pleased to see this addition to Starship Operations Manual, because if I'm a home GM and I'm saying, well, they're fighting against Vesk because they're, all, I don't know, rebels or something, and I need another, uh, I need another ship, and it's going to be a Norma Kama ship. What does that mean? Because I'm going to build it myself. I don't have any starships in that tier with the function that I need. So I'm going to have to do something about that. Uh, this gives some great guidance in, into not just like, oh, this is the kind of guns they have. But like, what is this? What is a designer of the ship really looking forward to? Yeah. And on top of that, like one of the things that we were trying to do with these manufacturers is build in little bits of plot hook to them. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, as you were saying, what do they want or how do they build? But what opportunities might there be? How could this inspire my character's backstory? Like my mechanic, were they trained in a Ringworks Industries facility? 
totally could be. Um, or was I was I headhunted by Sangeval Space Flight Systems? These are all different things you can build in, and that can build in cool connections for your character in your storyline that the GM can riff off of. I mm-hmm. uh, can provide your character with like resources, like oh yeah, remember Billy from uh, from Hyvenex? Let's call him. Maybe he'll have some uh, information for us to continue on our, our on our mission. Um, or even, wow, this company sure does like to capture. Uh, derelict rigs and they might think that our damaged starship is in fact abandoned and try to take us into their scrapyards like these are all options mm-hmm. yeah i am I'm, I'm actually flipping through the book right now looking at all these these beautiful new starships um that are, are here because it's not just options but it's more example starships which i think is great again for gms who are like i just i really need you know a tier eight ship right now and they can look in there and there's some options uh, and uh, wow, like I am, like I work, helped work on this book and I'm still amazed at the content in here. I think you guys did a fantastic job. Um, one of the things I did want to ask about, because you've touched on it a little bit, uh, was that some of the scope of the book changed and how it was your first hardcover book. And I mean, this is behind the, the sheets and all that. So I want to hear what was that experience like sort of jumping in with both feet to a, a hardcover rule book for this line? Was it a graceful dive or was it a belly flop? <laughs> uh, well, I don't think it was a flop. This thing is amazing. Hey, hey, you can still make a good book and not have a great entry. It's okay. okay. But I, I, I want to know all the secrets. I mean, it's it started off like a graceful dive. And then there were, to be clear, there were some rocks underneath the water. which had Oh, no. It, it was not catastrophic in the end. But uh, one of the things is that uh, very early on in this project's um, lifespan, it was conceived to be a slightly different style of project. Um, mm. And so by the time that I jumped in, it was like, well, actually we need to make it a book a little bit more like this. But mm-hmm. by that point, we already had uh, roughly maybe half of the content of this book had text already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of my first jobs was to examine what we already had and determine how can we, how can we change this into um, a little bit more of a, a book with wider, wider contributions to the game as a whole and the setting as well Um, because it was a very it had a very crunchy as you'd say um starting point with like let's get more rules more rules and options Um, yeah that's where that's where you see a lot of these sample ships come from true and and some of the just the flavor information in here that was that was is fantastic there's a whole section on running your your adventure different types of adventures different types of arcs uh and i think that this is going to be fantastic and not just expanding what starships can do but hopefully with folks who have been reticent to include starships and starship combat in their storytelling to add it in to have some guidance to say okay i see how this is supposed to all work together um and and i think that this is amazingly useful so let me ask you something. Uh, obviously, this book supplements a very important part of the core rule book. Uh, if you could pick any one rule in this book and make it in the core, like, you know, Eric Mona comes down and says, hey, John, we need you to grab something from the Starship Operations Manual and put it into the new print of the core rule book we're doing. What would you pick? One of the things that I would be most inclined to pick up is that idea of Starship building budgets. Um mm-hmm. Because like a freeform system like this, um, it it really is freeform. And if you want, if you have five hundred points and you want to put four hundred and ninety of them into this one big gun, you kind of can. 
Um, so that is both liberating, but at the same time, uh, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, it it develops such a potentially weird meta um, that can throw off the experience for everybody else, um, whether that is the GM having designed something completely bonkers or whether it's the players figuring out, oh, hey, here is the right way to build a starship to win all the time. Um, I, I think that going for a slightly more balanced building experience would have just such a huge impact on Starship Combat as a whole. I definitely feel that. Uh, my game group finished the Dead Sun's Adventure Path a while ago, but during one of the books, we gave the starship to our parties, uh, like, you know, techno mega mystic. And we're like, okay, this is your baby. You can design it and we'll we'll make it work. And so he comes down and we sit at the table to do the starship combat. Nobody's seen the starship at this point. And it's basically got this, like, completely built for, like, you know, AC, T, uh, TL, shields. It is literally unhittable. Uh, James is sitting here trying trying to roll the gunnery checks to hit the ship and he can't, but our player didn't put any points into any of the guns. So we couldn't, we couldn't actually do enough damage to beat the enemy engineer recharging their shields. <laughs> so this, this one simple combat, it took us three hours and we left going, ah, <laughs> yeah, and, and a budget definitely would have fixed that. Yes. hundred percent. Then they would have even just if it's a guideline, they're like, oh, don't spend, you know, any more than 10 points in, in weapons. They're like, oh, maybe I should have at least 10 points in weapons. You know, if it's no more than 10, maybe if I have eight or nine, then we're OK or whatever the you know values work out to be. Um, as opposed to like, whatever, we have a weapon. It was cheap. It was two points. It doesn't matter. One little light laser pistol. That should be fine. Little light laser cannon. <laughs> Look how inexpensive these are. Let's let's get like three of them. That'll be plenty. I'll put one on the front, <laughs> one on the port and one on the starboard and we're done. Wow, that allows us to defend from three quarters of all directions. We, we are shipbuilding the good. Yeah, or it's really frustrating, I think, like if you do that turtle build and, you know, you get diced and now your turret has no more shots and you don't have weapons anymore. Like that turtle build is really strong, but I don't think the average form goer like realizes that, you know, you know, law of averages is one thing, but practical play and you're turret misses every shot is like gonna happen <laughs> totally could and that's that's one of those nice things including when you reference like the three hour long starship combat yeah. oh, which i think is a little bit of like the bugbear that uh scares some people about starship combat in the mm -hmm. first place is like oh it's gonna go on forever i mean partly depends on how you build the starships that's mm -hmm. clear um but one of the things that starship operations manual helps to make clear is this idea that you, you don't have to go until one of the ships is a smoking ruin. Um, there are alternate wind conditions. And uh, in addition to the good, just stylistic decision as a GM to say, we have been going for 90 minutes. This is clearly the trajectory of the experience. How about we call this here? Uh, mm -hmm. Let's narrate the, the remainder of the combat. Um, it could be that you need to accomplish something completely different. You need to escort somebody and protect them. You need to get to this point before this time limit runs out. Um, any number of other sorts of things. Or you need to use your uh, grappling weapon to hunt down, grab, and drag back this target into this zone. Um, any number of other little constructs. It's totally mm -hmm. possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, uh, I think this book fleshes that out very well, honestly. Uh, so we talked a little bit about some of the things that this enhances. Um, I think 
and, and it, it does get a little more rules crunchy, but like boarding and things like that are like rules crunchy elements, but they're really storytelling elements too. I know that's one thing I've seen a lot of folks being very excited to, to play with, very excited to read, um, whether that's because they want to be like, let's get out of Starship Combat so I can board the other ship, or whether because they just think it's cool. Um, yeah. I know in, with their Killer B example, you know, they were sending these uh, drones onto the ship as a boarding action. But I think it's just really neat from the idea of like, okay, we need to get on that other ship and disable it. From the inside, it's going to be the best for our crack shot crew. Let's just like send a breaching pod over. <laughs> yeah, and and boarding is boarding's kind of tough to approach from a design mm -hmm. perspective because there are several different tropes that you want to be able to hit, whether sure. it's we're still doing the starship combat and we have sent over a crew to like be cool operatives behind the scenes. You gotta mm -hmm. be able to handle that and keep the starship combat going. Or the, the thing we're basically uh, boarding as a way for you to do a dungeon crawl in a completely different setting. Mm -hmm. uh, at which point you probably have most or all of your PCs in a group. Um, and you might as well just be running standard tactical combat and the starship combat is just a is background noise at that point. Mm -hmm. um, it's a thing that makes all of our Star Trek set go ah! every <laughs> once in a while as the lights flicker and you wonder why nobody has um, like uh, fuse boxes or, or shock breakers. <laughs> um, so, uh, so there are two different ways that boarding actually advises the gym to proceed. So if you want, you can be doing what our Hell Wasp was doing. You can just be sending over you know, your crew or your drones and saying, you guys go take care of this. At which point boarding is just a special attack role uh, phase in Starship combat behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, or if you want, you can send one of your PCs over to lead the crew, which gives them all bonuses because you're a PC, you're cool, right? right. Um, but if you send two or more PCs to either board somebody or to combat the boarders, then the boarding section recommends, you know what? pause the starship combat you're on round four it'll be cool it'll still be there mm -hmm. let's do a quick little encounter between scenes as you handle this directly um and depending upon how well you do in boarding in fighting off borders or defenders and how quickly you do it that then has a reverse impact on the starship combat that's going on yeah very cool now, one of the uh one of the things i did want to bring up as well uh is that one of the criticisms of Starship Combat, as it appears in the core rulebook, is that it's mostly exciting for the pilot and the gunners, and that's it. What sorts of, of options and systems and things in Starship Operations Manual address those concerns? Yeah, so uh, one of those is that it oftentimes feels like the science officer, the engineer, the captain don't have a lot to do. Uh, the introduction of things like electric countermeasures weapons uh, or modules allows the science officer to basically take on a gunner-like role where they are shooting um, at enemy starships and their weapons aren't doing damage. They are like taking control of the computer system to use it against them, or they are doing other cool technological uh, support or debuffing sorts of activities. Mm -hmm. um, so we have that. We also have uh, things like the ability to do critical effects for any of the crew positions. Like right now, uh, the gunner is the only one who cares if they roll a 20. They could do critical effects uh, or critical damage effects. Mm -hmm. But now we have critical effects for every single roll with every single um, type of crew action printed to date. So if your science officer rolls a critical on scanning, you might be getting more information. Or if your chief mate 
rolls a critical on being able to do the hard turn, they might be able to do a hard turn so hard that they swing themselves to a completely different part of the starship and get to do something else entirely as well. Um, how the heck you do that from one end of a two mile long uh, <laughs> battleship <laughs> to the other? You know what? That is the power of imagination. I appreciate that all of you are capable storytellers and will be able to feel like an absolute badass in the process of that. Um, but it's, it's things like that where you're adding new options to the table. Um, or maybe you're even looking at things and you're saying, I want to be able to even be that gunner or that pilot more often. Um, but, you know, ISEF just won't move out of the pilot seat. So what do we do from here? Well, the answer could be get your own damn starship. Um, and you could be having multiple starships on the table with squadron combat. So that way you only have one or two people per starship. And you know what? You're the pilot now. Um, and now your engineering abilities can be through things like the minor crew action of swift kick, which is oh why does this thing not work? It's on fire. I don't have R2 to shout out Shout out to uh, repair this thing. Swift Kick allows you to make one of your systems work again for a couple of rounds. Because uh, that's going to be plenty, right? <laughs> that's all you need. You just, just a few rounds, and then we'll be fine. It's yeah. all going to be great. <laughs> it's all going to be great. It's I so think funny. squadron combat is, is one of the things in this book that is absolutely going to change how groups, especially, you know, home groups, because society sort of locked in a bit, but how home groups deal with starship combat, how they approach it, and how they sort of dole out that responsibility. Um, I've been part of, of a couple different groups trying to put something together and they're like all right well who's a piloting and two of the players are like well i'm an ace pilot and i've got max ranks and max dexterity and you're like That's... and then they fight yeah <laughs> and it's like well who's gonna pilot the ship uh, I don't know. so this is a, a fantastic way to do it um so that when your players come together and of your four players three of them are pilots you go great we're just gonna build three ships then instead of yeah. one nothing stopping you there nothing stopping you there uh, some of the fun things in here also the ability to have a headquarters ship. So if we're all in a bunch of stunt fighters, you can just say, well, uh, we all dock at this one uh, carrier or freighter uh, so that, you know, that'll carry our ships from one place to another. And that's where we uh, eat and sleep and have silly scenes while we're flying through the drift for several days. Uh, or it sets yeah. up more of those alternate wind conditions where it's like, mm -hmm. we had three of these squadron combats. Everything was fun. We We were super cool pilots. Fourth encounter is... Oh no, they're going after the HQ ship. But if we if they blow that up, we don't have bathrooms. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> quick, everybody back! Everybody back! Like you you say that, but that's literally in Voltron uh, Defenders of the Universe, where their their HQ gets blown up and they don't have bathrooms. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, I, they don't have bathrooms. It's a plot point. No, but I mean, okay. base, like they, they have to like, they're like trying to, they're trying to get back to earth so they can build a new HQ. And like, okay. like they're like, they, they, they shove everybody into the line. So like they have all their little like side NPCs who have to come with them. Like one of them has a cow in their ship. Like it's really bad, but it's really great. Um, I mean, I love the rules that the RPG never really explores because, oh gosh, please. We never need to explore how often do we? whether or not a cow fits in your ship oh that too i was going to go with the poop angle but um, oh god but where like yeah. suddenly it's an issue and the gym's just like and, and oh. you can't do it and players like this is a problem like <laughs> we didn't care about saving this town we didn't care about like finding the cure for this plague but Where we do care about having a toilet um, <laughs> yes 
but then there's <laughs> there's always the player who's like really uncomfortably okay with not having a toilet they're like oh i'm just gonna go get my bag and i'll use the back it's like you animal. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Correct. That role play idea has some real life implications, and I don't know if I can do it anymore. And that's why sudden. it's really important to always have those wonderful session zeros with your group uh, before you get into these sorts of situations so you can determine what everybody's comfortable with and not, not make it real embarrassing. <laughs> like All this moment for us. Yeah, right. <laughs> All of a sudden, the person who's playing the SRO is like laughing at everybody else. They're like <laughs> laughing in binary. Uh, they said it was, a, I was a fool to play an android. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Squish your organics and your organic limitations. Yeah. <laughs> oh my oh, God. We could, we, could, we could rift on this forever. We really could. But uh, before we do that, um, another of the systems in the book that's really exciting and has like a really interesting way of changing, like reframing what starships mean in Starfinder, at least in my opinion, is the Armada combat rules. Uh, can you talk a little bit about those, John? Mm. Yeah. So um, Armada combat is all about having huge fleets that you are in control of um, rather than being the pilot or being mm -hmm. the engineer. You are, in fact, the chief engineer. You are the admiral, not the captain. No, you have you have more of those epaulets now. Um, you're the, you're important. Um, so basically, you are riding along with independent little fleets that make up the greater armada, and you can take your own crew actions. Uh, so as admiral, you can give commands to other fleets. As the chief engineer, you you are in charge of hundreds of engineers. So you get to be the one who like buzzes on the commute and says like put out those damn fires and a hundred voices go yes sir right away sir um or if you want to be the chief magical officer you can be directing dozens or hundreds of spellcasters to create huge effects that modify immense parts of the galactic battlefield um but each one of your little fleets represents either like one immense ship or maybe it represents dozens of these little starfighters whatever it is you like um you can now play out these mass combat encounters um, where you might lose a couple of fleets or it might be the buildup of a huge campaign. And this is like one of the big set piece encounters that is the culmination of 20 sessions of play where you have gone and played Mass Effect 3 as your own adventure path. And you're like, we got these aliens who brought these ships. We got these aliens who brought these ships. We're going to send them all. Oh gosh, we lost Species A. This is terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, species B, go, go, go. Oh, we lost Species B too. Species C, yeah. you won't let us down. Species C did it. Yes, we're winning at what cost though? Um, so you can have these cool culminations or you can have it building up as part of like a big complex uh, function of several different encounters all at once. So your fleet versus their armada. The first goal is we need to get to the other side to deal with, you know, maybe it's the Death Star equivalent, but clearly we need to get through the line of Star Destroyers first, armada combat. Okay, we've gotten this one fleet engage with this other fleet. We need to take out the capital ship, but we're going to do it with boarding combat. Quick, we're going to do like on-scene boarding combat with tactical uh, us on foot sort of encounters. Cool. Mm -hmm. Five minutes to get off of the uh, main uh, Star Destroyer ship. Uh, we have like a chase scene to get out of there before it explodes and consumes our escape pods. Cool. Now it is 
starship combat hex grid encounters where it is us on a single starship trying to face down this one uh, target that now we've blown a hole through their battle lines. It's all on us. Like species A gave their lives for this. Species B gave their lives for the Species C is still alive because, well, one of them had to be, but it's all <laughs> down to us. Can we make it worth it? So you can do this cool sequence of events mm -hmm. that could be like four or more hours of gameplay. And by the end of it, you have your whole party like flying out of things as this, you know, evil planet blows up. Maybe it's Apostay. Um, Apostay was always trouble to begin with. <laughs> uh, that planet really needs to hatch. I mean, blow up. I, ooh, oh my, <laughs> got some strong feelings here. Uh, I'm sure the, an the correct answer is to go in with your tier 10 starship, which will be plenty to fight Apostay. <laughs> no. I need the B-ship. Where's the killer B-ship? <laughs> yes, with the power of explosion projector or whatever the hell it's called, that will be plenty. 60-fold damage versus a planet. <laughs> what? Tier 15? It can't be stronger than tier 15. It's only a planet. <laughs> I love what players think where they're just like, we just got this cool feat. That'll clearly let us fight God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, combat reflexes is really good, okay? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, <laughs> One thing that I thought was really cool about this is that, um, at least in Pathfinder 1st Edition, what would usually happen is, like, somebody wants to write an adventure path with a scene, and so the rules to make that scene work would appear in the back of that adventure path volume, and then, like, maybe a couple years down the line, that those rules would be picked up and, like, developed and get expanded and given polished. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of, like, the Kingmaker rules, but, like, here, mm -hmm. this is, like, whoa, Armada rules, core book, before an adventure path comes out, it's done, it's shiny, it's complete, it's new. Well, I think it's nice too, because then what would happen sometimes in uh, like, like Pathfinder First Edition, for example, is you'd end up with three different versions of the chase rules, and none of them were the same as the actual version of the chase rules, and everyone had opinions on which they thought were better. I actually like that this is out first so that we can start exploring these in society games in uh, adventures and that they're you're unified um i i think that's important uh for example we have starships in atmosphere now there are so many more things that we can do on our starships if we want to you know fly around in that city in the clouds or something like we can do that um rather than just having like oh it's just in space and uh, we took a shuttle to the surface i guess uh, i think this is pretty cool yeah yeah and there's there are also some uh sections in here that talk about like on a given day, at a given hour, where are your characters likely to be on a starship? Mm. Um, none of this is binding, but it can be a fun thing for the GM to play around with when mm. you have that you have that invariable scene where like, oh, we're having a scene with some conversation and whatnot. And then suddenly, of course, there's the intercoms like, Captain, uh, you need to really get up to the bridge because of course, plot. Um, but the idea of like, when the first missile hits, am I in the cafeteria and my tray has now spilled and that is, this is war? Um, or is it like, is my character likely to be asleep in their quarters? How far do, how far might I need to run to get to the nearest gunning station? Mm -hmm. These, these aren't things that like are there to screw you over, but they can be cool things that set up new challenges that you weren't expecting and turn Starship Combat into yet another thing that uh, is, that's new and, and fun. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to doing uh, a starship race or chase 
uh, in an adventure. I'm looking forward to doing in atmosphere combat. That sounds pretty cool. Like there's just a lot of fun options in here that I, I really can't wait to see in an adventure so I can actually go do it. Um, I know the next Starfinder game I play, I'm going to just be like, please squadron based combat, please squadron based combat. Yeah, as far as behind the pages perspectives go, um, mm -hmm. the the atmosphere combat is one of those that has a long history in the office. Um, because when Thirsty and I were planning out Starfinder Society scenarios, we would look at each other and be like, you know, it'd be cool, like all those different sci-fi movies where they like take their starfighters and they're clearly fight like cruising through the Grand Canyon and fly, 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 and then <laughs> they fly really cool, and then one of the starships chasing them crashes into the side let's do something like that um and uh one of the sticking points is that like starship hex size was undefined and it was mm. kind of purposely undefined because yeah. that would keep us from painting ourselves into a corner of like how fast is a starship anyway well it can go right. five hexes this turn how fast is that Shh. oh it's important um okay. and so we ran into a little bit of uh back and forth as far as like can we even do a starship encounter where we just lay a hex grid over a chasm on a planet and have you using your starship to fight a dragon. Um, and the answer early on was, no, we should not do that because that will define the size of a hex implicitly. And this uh, book was kind of a cool opportunity to explore optional rules of how you can define what the size of a hex is at any given moment so that the size of a hex is a little bit more fluid. It's I don't know. Do you need it to be a mile today? Do you need it to be 10 miles? Is it mm -hmm. the size of plot? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But but let's loosen things up a bit so you can do these cool encounters. Mm -hmm. I Definitely. think that's great. What other behind-the-scenes development stuff can you tell us about? Oh, boy. Let's see how what I can what I can do without necessarily uh, throwing any authors or, or developers <laughs> under a bus. How about um, I give you permission to throw me under a bus since I'm on this call and have the ability to defend myself? <laughs> oh, no. Um, She's like, throw me under the bus, but my boxing gloves are up. <laughs> I, uh, what? <laughs> I got the ears. The claws are out. Oh, uh, my gosh. Oh, oh well, nice and friendly <laughs> behind the pages here. <laughs> let's let's look what this page is, what this page is uh, covering up. Ah, retaliation. Um, <laughs> one of the things that's uh, really important um, in the design work that went into this is that um, the, the tools that we've had for designing different options for Starships have been in different states as far as like our in-house documentation goes. And like when the Starship Core rulebook launched and we had the pricing for different weapons, um, there was sort of an internal logic that went into like, how many BP does this cost? Or mm -hmm. how many PCUs does this thing uh, consume? Um, but that's been like, there's clearly some behind the scenes stuff that has happened. There's been a lot of changeover in how exactly, or in, in what people are on the team mm -hmm. and they're still at uh, Paizo. And by the time that I was working on Starship Operations Manual and starting to work on Vanessa's content with all these new weapons, <laughs> I like looked over to the rest of the team. And I was like, so do we have some cool documentation that will tell me like how you calculate the, uh, the PCU or the BP cost of some of these weapons? And I got these long, hollow stares and a slow <laughs> shake of the head. I was like, I know what my next couple of days are. So, um, so one of the one of the big challenges with this book was looking back at all of the other weapons that we have produced ever and trying to come up with the, okay, what is the unified theory of pricing? Um, mm -hmm. So, 
a lot of what goes into this book's pricing is, is in fact, um, kind of representing this process of saying, okay, we have this formula. We are using this from now on. Uh, we can use this to make sure that our authors have tools to create create things that will always feel balanced against one another uh, throughout our entire system. So um, this is less a matter of looking at things and saying, oh gosh, if only we had this at when we were working on XYZ book and more of a Starship Operations Manual represents a way that we have expanded on all of our processes and options in the game, both what you see printed and what you don't see um, to create an ever better system for you to play with. Yeah. And that's how I, we also found out that missiles are dang inexpensive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Missiles, missiles are inexpensive. They're very, very good. Oh, you only get five shots yet. The fight probably ain't lasting that long. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you mean about having, um, having to sort of compile all this information. Um, one of the things that I got to do, um, move my background here, uh, during this book was figure out the, the creature creation rules and say, well, if you're going to make a creature-sized starship, how big should it be? And that begs the question of how powerful should starships be at every single tier, which kind of plays into your budget uh, conversation. And I had to basically say, well, let's look at every single starship that has been released to date and let's figure out what the trend of power is and where this should be at each tier on average, more or less. Uh, and then how do we create a system that can then create creatures? Uh, and that was a lot of research. So I, I am happy because that was a lot easier than what weapons would have been because weapons is, well, there's a lot more of those and there are starships out there and creatures out there. Sure. Um, so I yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard process locking in some of those trends. So mm -hmm. you folks did a good job with that. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking over some of my old files and uh, I, I have a calculations file with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different, uh, graphs and spreadsheets on it for calculating the various systems to make sure that they were cost appropriately. And, uh, and I think that's something that uh, with a book like this, I don't know that fans are necessarily always aware of. It's like how much math and how much research goes into it because we want to get it right. You know, uh, whether you're a freelance author or a developer, we want to get it right for the person sitting at the table for the people putting it together to not have this well obviously this is way cheap and this is way expensive and i'm, I'm why would i ever purchase this we want to make everything a good decision of like oh these are both so good mm -hmm. and a lot of that comes into just balance and making sure all the math works and there's a there's a lot of research that goes into it so the, the stuff you look up making some of these starfinder books man wow like i had to take a day to just like read about what atmosphere does to like planes in order to try to figure out how the <laughs> atmosphere works because um i had a lot of pressure for that one uh uh owen gave it to me uh at one point and then uh i was like oh this is great i get to do atmosphere and then i get this message from thirsty and he's like don't mess it up, Agunas. I want this. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> that's, that's part of that dragon encounter I was talking about. We wanted them dragons. <laughs> Gotta have those dragons. Uh, well, and then I think that's what's what's great too, because like the research that you did putting in there, the rules I think ended up really well. I think a lot of authors down the line, home GMs coming up with their own content down the line, I think they're all going to be able to really tap into uh, this wealth of research, this wealth of options in this book, and really tell the stories that they want to tell. Uh, any last thoughts for us, John? 
I'm excited to hear how folks enjoy this stuff now that it's out there. Mm-hmm. Like we can play test this all the live long day in the office, but there's nothing quite like seeing what it's like when a hundred different groups are using Armada combat, a thousand different groups are using squadron combat, things like that. Like tell us what your tell us what your um, experiences are with it, so that way we know what's working out well, how, what's our room for expansion, and where mm-hmm. can we include this in some future adventures. Absolutely, this this book definitely came from a lot of the feedback from from everyone playing with the core rules, and now we have this fantastic evolution of starships and starship combat and what starships mean from a, a storytelling sense. And so, yeah, definitely give give feedback, leave stories on the forum, like let's have a conversation about it, so we can keep making a better game and and adding more uh, more content that that you need to tell the stories that you want to tell. So fantastic. Um, I want to thank you so much for this panel. This has been a lot of fun uh, chatting with you about sort of the creation of this book and all the stuff in it. Um, I, again, thanks for Sirenscape for all the uh, sound between uh, the different the different segments. Uh, They've been fantastic. We have some fantastic shows coming up here really soon. In just a few minutes, we're going to have the Ages Ash, Age of Ashes campaign with Two Perception. Uh, they're going to be playing starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. That's 3 p.m. Paizo time or Pacific. Uh, and then after that, the Glass Cannon podcast is playing with both publisher Eric Mona and Jason Bullman. Uh, and they're going to be playing some fantastic stuff at 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern time and 6 p.m. Pacific time. So definitely stick around around for some amazing actual play stuff coming up uh, this has been fun I, I think this is a very successful Gen Con uh, if you want to get involved in the conversation maybe play some games on your on your own go ahead out to the organized play discord there's always a ton of games going on over there uh, if you're in chat and you're like well how do I get there do exclamation point discord and you'll get a link it's fantastic follow that join up uh, and and find a game, play with you know some Starfinder or some folks because yeah, it's what it's all about. And on top of that, if you want to get involved in future books, mm. keep in mind that we are in the middle of a Starfinder playtest for a new class, as well as using mechs. So oh, if you yeah. have strong feelings on stompy battle robots. We want to know them. I do. <laughs> So yeah, definitely try that play test out, give some feedback and help shape the game because that's that's how this all works. So uh, thanks very much for joining us, everyone. Until next time. The No Direction Network's PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage was made possible by the KDCon team, consisting of Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, Ryan Costello, Alexander Agunas, Monica Marlowe, Vanessa Hoskins, Dustin Knight, and Andrew Sturtevant. For more great Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other RPG news, reviews, podcasts, and blogs, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com.